welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. I'm going to start my next podcast with the glorious sound of the African fish eagle. This is a request from my next guest. We had fish eagles on our farm because we had dams, and listening to them in the evening was an otherworldly sound. Hello, now I'm absolutely thrilled and excited to invite a very special guest on today's Conversations with Peter Wood. This person doesn't need much of an introduction, let me tell you. By now, many of you will no doubt feel as if you know her intimately from having read my book and listening to my podcasts. Indeed, this leading lady has been part of my life since, well, since, since I was born. That's right. A warm welcome from Hong Kong to Harare to my mum, Libby Wood. Hello, mum. Hi, Pete. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. You sound like you're in the other room. It's brilliant. You know, you know this is going to be a bit strange because throughout the podcast, I've been quoting you in a voice that doesn't sound anything like you. <laughs> and although there's a certain amount of artistic license, you know, I think for the first time, my listeners are actually going to hear your real voice. Now, mum, I could talk about so many topics. I could talk about parenthood, women at war, love, art, or the lack of love. But today I want to concentrate on gardening because my previous episode is all about gardens. Um, and in many cases, the farm gardens were very much central to our lives. So, you know, the first question I want to ask you is when did you first go to Masitwi Farm um, and what state was it in? I mean, you were a city girl, so you must have been at least 19 years old. And I'm going to give something away here. That, I think, was 64 years ago. Well, it, it was 1957 and I'd just turned 20. And I was a townie, I must admit. But when I first went there, it was just wild bush. So you didn't even have the house. I mean, you were living in a hut at the bottom of the, the hill. Well, it was a little cottage on the bottom of the hill, yes. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, and I must, I must stop saying you know. I've noticed I say you know, you know, you know. So as my mother, you can stop me from saying you know. Okay. <laughs> but um, so, you know, what challenges were you faced with? When you first went there, you went up there with John. I mean... I, I vaguely remember a story you telling me that you said you thought you would just never get to the farm. <laughs> yeah, we had three punches on the way out. And I thought, where am I going? And indeed, where were you going? Yeah, were, were there any other people living in the district at the time? 
Uh, yes, but they were quite scattered. There were quite a few established farms. But then when you walked up the hill, and there was nothing on that hill, and let's be honest, there wasn't a very exciting hill. I don't know why John chose that particular hill to build a house. You must have thought, what the hell am I going to do with this place? Yeah, but I could see the potential. It, it was a wonderful view. It was a very beautiful part of the world. So what were the challenges then that you faced at the beginning? Well, mainly water, because the farm, of course, had to have priority with seed beds, not, not my garden. And wildlife in the garden, which I wasn't used to. <laughs> which, which actually you had right up until the last days, really. Absolutely. I mean, so how long does it take to build the house? Oh, it wasn't long. It was about a year. And all the bricks were made on the farm in yes, situ. Yes, yeah. mm. And then the garden, of course, came quite a few years later. Because I remember as a kid, I mean, you know, the garden wasn't much to speak about. It was only when I was around about 10 years old that you managed to really start getting your teeth into the garden. Yes, because John built a little weir for me on the river. And when I had water, well, then everything changed. It was wonderful then. And, and what about your staff? I mean, who were your first garden boys? Well, my first garden boy was a little orphan called Mwadzandira, who we called Mwadzi. And he was no higher than a hoe, which we used to call a badza. But he worked so hard, he was an orphan and he was brought up by the kitchen staff, Fred and Conda. But unfortunately, he's, he was still on the farm, but he came to a terrible end about two months ago. I don't know if I, I don't know if you want to hear about that. No, tell me what happened. Well, he was killed by a hyena and eaten. Oh my Obviously God. Farm I mean, that's a story you don't hear very often. I know. It's, Little Mwadzi, my first garden boy. Oh, no, that's so sad. That's so oh, sad. terrible. Where, but where, but where was this? In, in the compound. The farms obviously reverted back to the bush. They've even been lying on this on them sea tree. Wow, but that's amazing. Bad for my first little garden boy. And, I mean, I've never, ever heard of someone being taken by a hyena. Yeah. Oh, no, that's well, well, let's try and sort of go on to some slightly happier notes. I mean, um, you're going back to the garden as well. I remember you had a bougainvillea the size of a barn right in front <laughs> of the house. I mean, it seemed very strange to build to grow something that size in front of your view. And it was full of snakes and everything as children. We were terrified of going near it. What possessed what? you? Well, I thought it was rather beautiful. It was mainly on the roof, but it did have mother mambas and mother cobras. <laughs> and, and, and you were never particularly scared of the snakes, were you, even though no. you were a city girl? Yeah, I know, but I remember I was in the garden once and I cut a snake in two. I thought it was a, a branch. With, with your secateurs. <laughs> with my secateurs, yeah. And you and you also had you also had uh, those little Jack Russells that always oh, went yes. squirreling yeah. around and making sure yeah. the snakes got out of the way. That's get right. out of the way. Yeah. 
And, and, and I want to talk about something which I've never spoken to you about. What actually, did you actually have a vision for that garden? Um, and, and did you ever actually achieve that vision? I mean, that garden, when you were thrown off, what, 50 years later, was it what you wanted to, um, or was yes. it better? Yes, it was, because I had the view from the hill, and then I went down the hill, and it, yeah, it was perfect, I thought, when I left. It was beautiful. Cause, well, then I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to paint me a picture of what the garden looked like. I mean, walk from walk us from the veranda, across the lawn, down the- down to the bottom of the garden. And what kind of varieties did, would we see along the way? Oh, well, down the hill, I collected lots of aloes. And people were very good in the early days. They always gave you plants and I learned a lot from the established gardens in the area. They were always so helpful and we had very good garden clubs which taught me all about gardening and of course my mum was a fantastic gardener so I did have those genes thank goodness. Mm, yeah I don't know whether I've got those genes but uh, you know we'll never know. Uh, you, and, and when you sort of walked from the veranda down the hill you had all these uh, fish ponds that flowed into each other um, and you, you you had these incredible goldfish. I mean they weren't they weren't normal were they? They were huge. <laughs> Yeah, well, they were quite big and yeah, they were lovely. I had lovely fish. I loved my fish. I knew everyone personally. And, and you know, people probably don't have an idea. Of, they think of a, a farm garden, but this is not a farm garden. We're not talking about a farm garden. We're talking about, you know, gardens that sort of start off with uh, English flowers at the top and make their way down to sort of indigenous plants at the bottom. What sort of varieties did you grow? Can you sort of give us an idea? Apart from the yeah. aloes, you've already mentioned the yeah, aloes. The, but it, um, you know. And cannas. It was a very colourful garden. And, you know, petunias. It was a bit of everything, actually. It was a bit mm. of an English, a bit of a African. It was a bit of everything. It was such a shame at the end, wasn't it, when you were thrown off? Because the garden centres used to hover around the farms like vultures, didn't they? Were they ever? Were you ever paid by the garden centres for all those plants that they came in? And they they came in with a big lorry, didn't they? Well, they came in three times, and they even dug up fully grown palms, and they even took my fish. But, of course, we were being thrown off the farm at that time, and I was in quite a state. But, as you say, I was never paid for anything. They just went, yeah. you know. Mm. You know, what were the other gardens like in the district? Not not just in the Victory Block, but maybe in Sipililo, Horseshoe. Whose, whose gardens were the ones that you really looked up to? Oh, there were some beautiful gardens. It, a lot of them were in that book, a Rhodesian garden written by June Norman. Um, they, they were fabulous. They were absolutely beautiful, especially once people had water, access to water, like Gina Hyde. She had a wonderful garden, and Francis. You know, but now a lot of them, a lot of them in our area, particularly 
like in horseshoe they grew their gardens between the balancing rocks and things yes. like that so i mean they were quite quite dramatic you oh, know, very and lovely settings you know yeah, they, mm. yeah do, i mean you must miss Masitui a lot oh i dream about it you know but it's gone yeah. you know and and mm. and you know going on to a slightly sadder note when we went back there and obviously i speak about it in the podcast and in the book but what was your impression when you went back to the house and saw those you know sweet potatoes and pumpkins growing right up to the front and and that bust up old tractor on the veranda and someone had built a fire on the they were cooking off the veranda weren't they it had just well it was heartbreaking you know all those years of love that we put in and all the memories and this was what it was reduced to it was yeah. i shouldn't have gone back and you said to that woman and i i didn't really put it in the book and i maybe i should have you said to her you know oh this used to be such a beautiful garden and uh, she said, well, what did she say? She said, we well, madam, she was very gracious about it. And she said, well, mm -hmm. we have a different way of thinking about things. Yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah. You must it's, miss it yeah. a lot. I mean, um, you, and, and then all of those varieties of flowers from, you know, some of them came from really far afield. I remember you and I walking along the Thames those beautiful houses along near Twickenham, I think, those gardens that go right down to the Thames, and we were stealing the seeds from the hollyhocks along the way. And you still, <laughs> to this day, have those seeds, and you're still continuing that line of hollyhock. I know. I remember you saying to me, oh, mum, you can't steal these seeds. I said, well, no one's looking. And to this and day, all over Borrowdale are my hollyhocks, all over Harare. And and I have one in my garden here in Hong Kong that you uh, you brought over one surviving hollyhock. Uh, all the rest were eaten by caterpillars, and it started flowering today. So I think it's flowering oh. in in um, you know because we're on the phone to you and talking about gardens. Um, so so what color is it? Is it a dark pink? Uh, it's uh, a it's a cerise. Dark, okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm very happy about that, actually. Oh, um, and, you know, I feel that there's so much more that we can talk about uh, the gardens. When you go over the dike, the great dike to Ambukwis, it was three, three or three or four thousand foot higher than our farm. And the gardens up there were completely different, weren't they? They were very English, weren't they? Very, very. You see, we with us, it was quite hot so I had to have a tropical garden which was fine I loved it yeah it yeah. was it was fantastic and 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 tell us about where you are now and the garden you've got now now you finally got your English garden haven't you yes I have yeah yeah and for the last 16 years I've been working in the village garden so it's all in the genes I suppose you could say ah uh. I know how fantastic though. I mean, your garden in Harare is amazing. And I think people come from miles around just to have a look at it, don't they? Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice. Thank goodness I've still got a garden. 
Well, enough about gardening. I want to go slightly off topic. I know I said I wasn't going to, but I want to ask you in your own words about my birth. Because there again, this was mentioned. <laughs> this was mentioned in an earlier podcast, but I'm sure it'll be better coming from you. Uh, well, you know, I am a bit spooky and um, you were premature and I had to have a Caesar, and the doctor was very worried, and he said to John, um, it's going to be either to saving the mother or the child, so Don, John did say save the mother. Anyway, I wasn't at all worried. I was, I actually saw the birth. I think they call it the silver cord, and I saw them cutting me open, and this tiny little baby was inside of me like a little kangaroo in its mother's pouch. And uh. then I went back to sleep. And in the more, you know, then I woke up and there you were. And so and my... They, all I remember about it was, it was absolute chaos in the theatre. It wasn't calm like Dr. Kildare. They were rushing around saying, she's going, she's going, she's going. And I wasn't I wasn't at all nervous because I knew I wasn't going to die. But and I then, was I was quite premature, wasn't I? Well, eight months, yeah. Well, it's quite a lot, especially in those days, yeah. 19, 1962. I mean, you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but that was I survived, a and I'm here to tell the story. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I told the doctor about it, and he said that's strange. I have heard about that. I even knew the colour. They had green masks on. I explained everything, how chaotic it was, thinking I was going to croak, and he said that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, wow. So, and and I was your third and last kid after that's that. Right. You couldn't have any more. And um, but going back to Masitui, mum. During the war, um, how did that change the whole sort of gardening thing? Because obviously we had to put up security fences and that sometimes the security fence had to go right the way through the middle of the bloody garden. So people, uh, you know, they but of course there were more important things than gardening, yeah, you know, yeah. like saving your lives. Yes. Well, mine you, was quite un unnoticeable because it went right down at the bottom. It wasn't too much of an intrusion. And you had grown sisals on either side so that if anyone sort of tried to climb over, they'd get impaled. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and so, so Mum, I'm going to um, call you back later on in my series to chat about some other things. But, um, you know, I think on this note, you know, we can bring this uh, conversations with Peter Wood and Libby Wood to an end. Um, you know, and, and thank you so much for being such a sport and joining in. Okay, Pete, it's been lovely speaking to you and all bringing right. up all the old memories. Ah, oh, mum, okay, well, there'll be more memories on the way, so, you know, hang in there. Speak to you okay. soon. All right, bye. Bye. That was me in conversation with my mother, Libby Wood. Now, I should make a little correction there. I was not born eight months premature. I was born eight weeks premature. Well, that's about it. 
Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.